0: Now, only fools predict the future. It is a very, very foolish thing to do. And in perhaps another line, very similar, is that Marshall McLuhan said, history only teaches us one thing, that is, we learn nothing from history. And we always move on with fits and starts. But something that has been happening over the last hundred years, which I think is very good, is our treatment of animals we now consider animal rights almost as highly as we do human rights. I think we have, in the future, to go a little further and regard plant rights as important. After all, we all come from that original single cell. Our metabolisms are based on the same metabolic functions. There is very little difference between an animal and a plant, and indeed you cannot draw a line between the two. There are many things that fall into neither category or both. And for many years, I was a vegetarian. And I gave up being a vegetarian because I felt that many vegetarians were not very kind to plants. Uh, Also, I was not objecting to the eating of meat. I was objecting to animal farming, to the methods that they were subjugated to. And I now eat meat only organically where possible, and I still feel that we overlook plant rights. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't wish to be quite out in a lunatic extreme, but I do feel that we ignore the way that plants, and we we say they don't feel things. This is a bit arrogant. It's a bit like fishermen saying fishermen don't feel anything with that math that they use to find all the little bugs on the bottom of the river or whatever. Some of you may remember a film, Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor, Night of the Iguana, uh, Tennessee Williams. And in it there's a famous poem... How calmly does the orange tree observe the sky begin to blah, 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 blah. And it's all about how this orange tree is so brave because it puts up with all these terrible things that are happening to it and it doesn't emit any cry of despair. And when I read it, I thought, no, it may be. It does emit. Some people have claimed that when trees are cut down, they scream. The North American Native Indians always used to apologize to a plant or a tree when they had to cut it down or take its fruit. And so I've added into what my talk was today um, a poem I wrote some time ago. Uh, Yesterday it was said that you wanted some poetry, so I've decided to include some. And it's called It's Not (laughs) Meat. Here in this peaceful resting place, too often murder does make haste. Beneath this roof of living green do pass dark deeds always unseen. How cruel it is that with each pass, the placid man can slaughter grass. Tender heart, so untoward to the crying of his sword. When the weeding chores are done, Then more short lives fade with the sun. The withered corpse is soon bereft of meaning In their seedless death. Pausing, wiping sweat from brow, Whilst hacking branch and soaring bough, Tears forth each limb on earth to lie. How hears he not the dying cry? Not calmly does that orange tree Give up its life, so cease to be, Without that cry, without that prayer, Without our hearing its despair. Perchance it's not the carnivore If sin the most who slay the more. So easy tis to kill that spark Which lives unseen within the bark. Now, back to reality. (laughs) Without doubt, in the future, there are going to be changes in our gardens. Those, and I, I do find it ironical, gardens are getting smaller, smaller and smaller, and yet we put those in the most need of them and those with the most time to look after them in the very accommodation that has the least gardens. The unemployed, the disabled, the dispossessed, the old, all of those who would benefit most from gardening are put into housing that has no garden or very little. I think we need to turn it round. In Tudor times, if you built a new house, you were required to put an acre or more of land with it so that the owners of the house, or inhabitants, would never be a burden on the local poor rate. I think we need to go back to that sort of attitude. We also need to look at what will be happening in our gardens. And I think that it's a very safe prediction to say we all need to save more water. That isn't going to be contentious. Also, the things that we grow will have to change. And I think perhaps those who are looking for productive gardening are going to have to look much more closely at what we're growing. And perhaps some of the longer-season crops should be replaced by more multiple short-season crops. As you all know, you can get a far greater yield of small salad leaves from one patch of soil, sown and and cropped, sown and and cropped over again, than putting in one potato plant, which is there for three or four months. And from this, I do think we need to be looking for a greater diversity of food crops in our gardens, because many of what we grow are closely related, subject to pests and diseases, and closely related to the commercial crops. And we are in a serious danger that if some ghastly disease affected the grasses, or some disease started to attack commercial farming crops that we would also lose some of our gardening crops because they are all so closely related I also feel that we have in some ways got ourselves into a a mindset, certainly in the productive garden, of annual cropping now I'm not a fan of permaculture I do find that the permaculture method as promoted is based too much on California and Australia Uh, methods which are fine there, but uh, we don't have the same sun. And trying to build up layers, I remember hearing one practitioner talking about putting his cabbages under his apple trees. It may work beautifully where it's so hot that you need the shade crops, but it doesn't work awfully well in Norfolk. And along with this change, we have to look at this perennial cropping. And I think that from an ecological point of view, a a perennial crop, an apple tree. How many of you have apple trees? Hands down. How many of you have ever done anything at all for that apple tree? (laughs) Exactly. This is the sort of gardening I think we are going to convince the world to do far more than double digging the vegetable plot. Mm -hmm. People are inherently lazy. And if we can find more and better perennial crops, which you just stick in and then just harvest over the following decades, that is a way to make gardening more accessible to more people. Not necessarily on the tree level, but certainly perennial as opposed to annual. The next thing is this need to actually find different crops. There's also another conflict gardens are not getting any bigger. They are definitely getting smaller. And all of those uh, last few years, there's been a push. Ground cover plants, small conifers, small evergreens for the ornamental garden. But at the same time, the one problem with almost everything shrubby and woody is that it continues to grow. Small, beautiful, sunny gardens in a decade become a little shady grotto. Uh, This is actually one of the commonest questions on Gardener's Time is, why... Uh, question, why can't my potatoes grow anymore? They seem to get drawn up and leggy and nothing underneath. And you ask them, um, have you got trees around the garden and a hedge? Yes. How tall was it when you started and how how is it now? And there is this unfortunate continual push by nature to shade you out and make your garden not very productive. So the idea is that we should be looking more at the perennials that grow and ones that we could be having that are not already in the consumption. Uh, But we could eat elderberries, for example. How many of you have had elderberry jam or jelly? It's delicious, isn't it? But nobody has ever selected or bred a better elderberry for garden purposes with bigger berries or sweeter. Now, it's strange, but in both the annuals and the perennials, it doesn't take much time to convert a wild plant into a garden cultivar. Both carrots and parsnips, as an exercise, have been bred in three generations from the wild to a garden-worthy specimen. In fact, the variety of the student was exactly that. Uh, Professor proved, by selecting from wild parsnips, collecting the best, growing them on, that in three selections he could produce a parsnip every bit as good as others. The modern apple is developed from the crab, something you would never imagine eating many of. And it's not taking thousands of years. Indeed, in a very short time, a garden-worthy new fruit could be developed from so many of those that are already edible. Uh, Think of roses. How many rose varieties are there? 5,000? How many of them have been developed for huge hips? There's one or two that are actually ornamental, but nobody has looked for a rose hip that is as large and as succulent as a plum. And it would not be difficult to get there. And indeed, as you all know, rosehip syrup was collected in the Second World War and was very tasty. Do all of you realise that fuchsia berries are edible? Fuchsia societies have long made fuchsia jelly. And again, we have 5,000 varieties, all of which are wonderful and beautiful, and not one of them has been selected for a bigger, sweeter berry. And I think there's something that amateurs can do much better than waiting for commerce and anyone with a particular interest in any particular family of plants, why not consider getting a range of species and trying to cross them and seeing what you can get, seeing if you can develop a new fruit. After all, it was said that no man serves mankind better than one who could make three blades of grass grow where two grew before. But wouldn't you rather be the person who left the strawberry to humanity? Hmm? 200 years ago, the modern strawberry did not exist. Not at all. It was the crossing of the uh, North American uh, small one, Little Scarlet, still grown for jam, and the chiloensis. And the two of those, neither of which was actually a very large or particularly good cross-produced our entire range of modern strawberries. The Romans would have murdered for a strawberry. They were gourmets. And they would have been absolutely amazed by it. Yet alone, of course, all the plants that have come from South America, which true would have amazed them. However, it's strange that most people don't realise how many plants in their garden already carry edible fruits. Some of the viburnums. Viburnum opulus, we are always warned about it as children. Don't eat those berries. Actually, they were made into tarts and pies. And they're really not at all bad. The foliage, of course, as with you, is poisonous but so is tomato foliage. Not a reason to avoid it. And indeed, one of the things people are always concerned about is poisoning children. You may be surprised. How many people, quick guess, ask yourself, how many children do you think have been poisoned to the point of death by mushrooms or plant products in the last 20 years? None. And in fact, there's hardly any cases in the last 50 years. 15,000 children go to hospital every year through having imbibed something from the garden or the house they shouldn't have. The ones that die are those who drank the bleach, the engine oil, the washing-up liquids. The ones that suffer most are those that get perhaps something like euphorbia sap on them. But actually, poisonous plants have not killed children for a very long time. And in the past, those that died were often, in times of famine, uh, people making a mistaken identity. Uh, However, back to the edible plants that we should be looking at. Eleagnases. Many of the eleagnases have edible berries. The viburnums, the roses. In fact, when you start to look at it, huge numbers of our already ornamental plants have edible fruits, which could be vastly improved in no great time or without GM to give us a stability and a food security of a different form. And this ties in with what I was saying earlier. Gardens are not getting bigger. People want gardens to look pretty. But they also now want them to be productive. And I think one of the biggest pushes that we should make is trying to find plants that are both ornamental and attractive. And I think we need to look in another area as well, which is herbaceous. Shrubs and trees do inexorably get bigger herbaceous plants get wider but they do not get taller and shade out your garden the herbaceous bed for a long time had a bad reputation as being hard work and all the rest of it modern cultivars, slightly shorter so they don't need so much staking the island bed is popularized by the blooms where you have your taller plants in the middle and supported by the shorter herbaceous plants all around make a much more stable and suitable growing environment for them And I think if we can find herbaceous plants that also produce edible berries or roots, uh, then we've got something that will actually improve the garden far more. Uh, There's one that I particularly like. Uh, Do you know Smilocena racimosa? foamy white flower heads. Looks a bit like a hosta, but almost immune to slugs. And it has a little red berry, a bit like an asparagus berry. The North American Indians referred to it as the treacle berry because they thought it was so sweet and tasty. Now, this is a garden plant, not much grown, but plants like that could be improved to have bigger fruiting berries and thus fill that niche of something that is both decorative and useful. And I think we need to go to that. I really do think we need more plant research into developing better garden plants that are dual purpose. The other area where I see change is in companion planting. About 15 years ago, I started researching into companion planting. Uh, As a well-known gardener, we don't see around so much nowadays, I won't mention any names, uh, even under Chatham House rules, but uh, he, in one of his books, said something to the effect of companion planting was a load of twaddle. And that is uh, rather interesting and very unscientific. The idea that one plant growing next to another one can affect its growth is hardly strange especially if you consider the, shall we say, 15,000 different plants we might have in our garden, would you like to work out statistically how many possible combinations there are? It would seem to me to be much stranger that if none of the plants in our garden affected another one with either a root excretion, a leaf excretion, a gaseous exhalation, for instance dandelions give off ethylene, Ethylene affects the germination of plants, it affects the growth, and it affects the ripening. Indeed, ethylene and any of that series of gases, if you wish to ripen your tomatoes quicker, put a banana or dandelion leaves with them, and suddenly they ripen. And these effects do happen between plants in the soil. And indeed, it is within the soil that I think much of the companion planting interactions are taking place unseen. Most plants have mycorrhizal uh, fungi growing on the roots. And it's rather ironic that the major research station, Rothamsted, has basically not looked into it because the cereals are one of the few groups of plants that don't have mycorrhizal associations to any extent. And so they've been ignored in agriculture. However, it seems to me that it's the limiting factor in fertility is always something that is missing and it can be made available by mycorrhizal fungi far more effective than by the roots of the plant looking for it. They are better at searching and making available the elements and minerals for the plants. And other plants changing the soil conditions favor or disfavor mycorrhizal fungi, of which there are an unbelievable number that we should be investigating, and yet it is not looked into. And I think that by the clever combination of certain plants. We already know that legumes give off extra nitrogen and so on. There are another six families, mostly tropical plants, that have similar effects. It's been noted since classical times that lupins suppress weeds around them but actually made other plants grow more vigorously. Chamomile and stinging nettles, both well recorded as affecting the keeping properties of fruit and the health of plants near them. And so we need investigation in the future into finding ways of making our plants be their own physicians, their own producers of fertility, as well as bringing in beneficial insects for pest control and so on. Now, I've only allowed a very short time and I'm coming to the end of it, but I noted that along with a shortage of poetry, it was noted that we had a shortage of ethnic gardeners, Uh, one or two I notice amongst us. And also that the always this terrible tendency for gardening to be restricted to the older generations. It is so hard, and believe me, the BBC is continually berating gardeners' question time. Please have more ethnic questioners. Please have more children asking questions. I have a wife from the West Indies. I therefore have black children. I am concerned at the way that black children in this country do seem to not develop in the same way as the white children, they seem to get into gangs and troubles, and it does concern me. And I want my children to become gardeners. Now, of course, as you all, many of you will have children will know, whatever you try to make them do, they go the other direction, don't they? So I, I, I'm fairly sanguine about my lack of success. But I'd like to finish <coughs> with another poem, but done in the modern style, so that I can get to them because one of the ways that uh, children learn things is by repetition. And so I have to finish a poem or a rap song, depending how you like it. (laughs) It's called The Good Life Song. The real good life is the husband and wife with the kids all round the pot. Their strength derived from the food inside, all grown on the Eitel plot. No toxic waste, no artificial tastes will cheat their health away. For nutritious food, the righteous rude is grow your own, don't pay. Factory foods, the devil's load, takeouts cost dear one day. A moment on your lips, a lifetime on your hips, be lucky to escape malaise. As it's no joke, a tumour or a stroke may be just one bite away. The food you eat is your body's meat, don't cheat and don't delay. Give up vile crack, spurn that smack, a needle is not for play. Don't pop those pills for cheap thrills And drink and cigs don't pay Forget the gym if your garden you trim You'll soon work off that lard Stop big talk, take up your fork It'll make your body hard Go feed your soil with compost and toil To keep the weeds at bay The bugs to pick, the blights we trick We need no chemical spray Eat organic food, follow good codes To read, to grow, to pray Man's got the lot who tends his plot Charles work to do each day Gracias.